there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. How's it going? I am so incredibly excited to introduce you to one of my all-time favorite people in this entire world. That is not to say I don't love all of my friends. Of course I do. But this friend in particular has so much positive energy and is so fun and funny and smart and kind. And she is an expert in the field of philanthropy and development. And by that, I mean cultivating high net worth donors to support the work of nonprofits and foundations. But before I introduce you to her, I want you, if you haven't already, to sign up for the Java Junkies Journal. That is our weekly newsletter that we send out on Monday morning with the five episodes that we're going to be dropping that week, all kinds of tidbits and background and insights so that you can plan your week and you're listening accordingly. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org. So grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest, Johanna Therese, is one of the most knowledgeable people I know when it comes to the field of development. And she's currently combining her love of philanthropy and philanthropists in her role as Chief Development Officer at the Oregon Community Foundation. And the mission of the foundation is to improve lives for all Oregonians through the power of philanthropy. Johanna brings 30 years of development experience to lead a statewide team of highly qualified philanthropic advisors who help individuals and families create legacies of giving through donor-advised funds, scholarship funds, and testamentary gifts. And by that, I mean they put it in their will or their trust. Johanna, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you still decaffeinated and ready to go? I am so ready to talk with you, Andrea. So excited. Well, I am too. And I want to just say before we get into you and your amazing career, I want to share a quick story here with Java Junkies. About five years ago, Johanna was someone I knew in a professional sense, but not well personally, beyond recognizing that she's lovely and funny and kind. And when I found out that we were both going to be in Nepal together, I pretty much spontaneously asked her if she'd like to peel off at the end of our work trip and go on a five-day trek around the Annapurna Range. And what did she say? Heck yeah! <laughs> and as a result, we got to know one another so much better and got to share that incredible country together in a very intimate way, let me just say, waking up next to one another in sleeping bags at 3 a.m. and hiking to the top of, let's just say, Poon Hill to see the sunrise over Mount Everest. So I want to say, Johanna, thank you for being a spontaneous person and for trusting me because otherwise I wouldn't have done it. Well, I wouldn't have done it either. So thanks for asking. I loved it every minute. So let us stop talking about us and let's start talking about you. And for those Java junkies who may not really know much about the world of philanthropy and philanthropists, what, first of all, what 
does the Oregon Community Foundation do? I mean, I said that its mission is to improve the lives for all Oregonians, but what it does and then as the chief development officer, what you're responsible for. Yeah. So most people understand what a private foundation is, like the Gates Foundation and the Ford Foundation. What a a community foundation is different in that the funds are given from many, many donors. So the community foundation is made up of donors who create funds, as you said in your intro, either donor advised funds, scholarship funds, testamentary funds, etc. And they are able, while they're living, to recommend and make grant requests with those funds during their lifetime to nonprofits. So the Oregon Community Foundation is among the top 10 largest community foundations in the country, which is surprising in a lot of ways. We have $2.2 billion under management, and all of those dollars came from individuals looking to make life better for all Oregonians and beyond. We have also a very robust grants program that has discretionary funds that our board of trustees oversees, like $20 million are granted out from that each year to a wide variety of organizations around the state. All told in scholarships, donor advised funds, and our discretionary funds, we grant out $120 million a year. So it's a big organization. Yeah. And it really, in my role, I work with donors who are creating those funds. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. It is really predicated on their timeline. Often people will have a taxable event. They'll inherit money. They no longer need their beach house and want to give that to charity. We're really facile with complex gifts and are able to help people create meaningful philanthropic solutions to match their heart's desire in giving back to the community. So how do you make the decisions about where that $120 million that you're granting every year goes? Well, about $10 million of it goes to Oregon Students for Scholarships, and they apply through a database that matches their interests and their, you know, their SAT scores and their GPAs and scholarship committees review those applications and make those determinations. Donor advised funds comprise $70 million of donors who recommend grants to different nonprofits that they know about. And then our Grants and program staff, we have a responsive, we call it a responsive grant making program. So every nonprofit in the state has probably received an OCF grant or has applied for an OCF grant. And we have almost 2,000 volunteers that review those, do site visits, and make recommendations on which of those are worthy of a grant. And those volunteers are educated and trained in how to really make those evaluations carefully. Mm, Okay. I was just going to say, I think right out of the gate, we should dispel some myths or misperceptions about nonprofit development and Mm -hmm. what it's like to be interfacing with exceptionally wealthy people, Johanna, because Mm -hmm. I know that is something 
that you do day in and day out, but you also feel strongly that Java junkies recognize that this is not just older, wealthy white men who golf. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, interestingly, women are probably the most influential donors to nonprofits, and they often inherit twice from their families, sometimes from their husbands as well. And even if they haven't inherited money, they are often the driving force behind how a family makes charitable gifts decisions. So I always say, do not ever underestimate the power of women when talking to donors and prospective donors about giving. Yeah, I did not realize that, that women are the majority of them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. They really influence a lot of the giving that goes on in this country. Another thing that we touched on during the espresso shots, but we can't say it enough, and that is about anyone who's interested in getting into the world of philanthropy and development and nonprofit fundraising, in your opinion, Johanna, needs to understand their own money story. What does that mean? It can mean a lot of things. And I actually ask that question before I hire somebody. Tell me about your relationship with money. And the answers are all over the map from, I really... I'm really good at keeping my checkbook in balance to, you know, I came from money to I didn't come from money. But whatever the answer is, it just gives me an insight into how people think about it because nobody really asks you that question. I think that it is, it's primarily about not being gummed up when it comes to money. Some people are really intimidated by people with a lot of money. Some people are resentful of people with a lot of money. Some people have, you know, they have issues around the topic. And I think it's important to see what those issues are. Often they're unconscious, but they get in the way. They really get in the way if, if you have any kind of weirdness around money. Yeah. And so what, in your opinion, makes the best development professional? What are those qualities? What are those mm -hmm. skills? And again, we're thinking about young people who want to get into this field, maybe to help them right. see that they could in fact be well-suited or maybe not so well-suited. Exactly. And I think it's really helpful to know if you're not well-suited because then there are many other choices in the world. But any of your Java junkies who've been the recipient of a scholarship, for example, that came from somebody. Like that money does not grow on trees. And someone had an impulse to do something for you. And so I think that's just a really great place to start. Or the buildings in your university, like they were, they were probably not gifted, but that money was raised from individuals that loved that university or college and really wanted to make it better for future students. So think about the things around you that were influenced by generous people. And I think an attitude of gratitude goes a long way with regard to thinking about people with money. You know, they're doing something for you. So I think that there is a lot of generosity around us. There's also a lot of, what's the opposite of generosity? Parsimonious. Parsimoniousness. I love that word. In the world. But hang on to the gifts that we've all received in some way, shape, or form and just recognize that nobody had to give it. It was, you know, it was of their own free will. So I think an attitude of gratitude, again, is start 
starts to awaken an appreciation for people sharing their wealth. I don't know. That's helped me. Yeah. Is that the main way that you allow yourself not to be intimidated by high profile donors or prospects? Or are there other things that go into that? Well, at first I was, you know, just to be clear. And my first development job was really more of a being in the background job where I supported trustees of the organization I was working with in sort of developing strategies around what would motivate someone to give to a particular project and working on those strategies and going on calls with trustees where it was more of a peer-to-peer relationship. It helped me understand language. It helped me understand respect. It helped me see how to be authentic with people. You didn't have to be all stiff and weird. You could just be, the more relaxed you were, the more relaxed they are. So it goes back to having good mentors and seeing and having the opportunity to learn from them and how they how they interact with high net worth individuals. You're not going to do that at, you know, just coming right out of college by yourself. Or maybe you are, but you're going to be better if you can if you can shadow somebody who really knows what they're doing. Yeah, I would say that is for sure the preferable path to go. Mm-hmm. And speaking of paths, Johanna, why should some of the brightest minds in our country and others choose a career in philanthropy rather than getting a much better paying job in the private sector? Well, I think a lot of that has to do with if they're motivated by making a lot of money and that's the number one thing, this is probably not the job for you. Although I really do not believe that you have to take an oath of poverty to work in a nonprofit. So I wanted to dispel that myth. I guess the other thing I would say is With government support waning in almost every area of our society, philanthropy is taking a larger and larger role in filling the gap. And if you have a passion for mitigating homelessness, early childhood education, arts and culture, health and wellness, whatever it might be, philanthropy is a very effective and impactful way of making a difference. And if that's what drives you, it's a brilliant career. How did you find it? I don't know if I ever heard this story. Purely accidentally. I really didn't even know what development meant when I graduated from college. And someone said, oh, you'd be really great in PR. And so when I figured out what that was, I had an internship at a PR agency. And I realized I really do not like having to be a champion for whatever client was paying the bill that month. And I thought, you know, what I really, really care about is education. And I'm just going to look for a job in education. And so I got my first job was a six month temporary job at a private school that was about was thinking about starting a capital campaign. And they needed someone with some PR skills. Okay, I had three months of an internship that qualified. Um, (laughs) And and that's where I was working with a development director who was terrific. And I realized, oh my gosh, development at the end of the year, you made your goal or you didn't. In PR, you know, any a fire next door is going to wipe out all the work you created in 
putting together some fabulous event. And I just thought, I think this might be the thing for me. And so I, I sort of eased into it. And my six-month temporary job turned into a 14-year career in this organization with multiple capital campaigns, interesting annual campaigns, an auction, a rummage sale. I learned a ton. It was a great gift. What I love about that story is that you were following your interests. You were following initially your interest in education mm-hmm. and exactly. it evolved. But exactly. that was your true north, which was so mm-hmm. important. Another incredibly important quality, and I'm only using that or making it sound like a question because it's either a question or it is a mindset is the power of positivity. Can you talk, Mm -hmm. Johanna, about the role that the power of positivity has in your life as a professional, let alone as just a regular, wonderful human being? (laughs) Well, thank you for that. I don't know if I'm just wired that way from the get-go or whether I've recognized that I like being around positive people. And I want to be a positive person. So, you know, we almost have a choice every time we open our mouth to veer toward the positive or the negative or the snarky. And I can go there too. We we all can. Um, But in my professional world, I just think that it's more effective to be positive with my colleagues, you know, positive with my coworkers, and of course, obviously with donors. And I just am sort of a one-trick pony. Like, I don't turn on and off. Like, I'm nice now, and then I'm not nice. And I'm, you know, I just sort of feel like it's just easier for me to have, like, one on switch. And I think it has honestly served me really well. I do really come from a wellspring of gratitude for everything in my life. I think in development, you actually need to have a pretty optimistic view because not everything goes well. And there are times where you really doubt yourself and you doubt everything about what you're doing because, you know, the money's not coming in or it's not coming in at the right time for some reason. And you've got, you can't be a downer on yourself or your team because they're relying on you to be positive and hopeful and optimistic. So I've just become increasingly that way throughout my life. And I think it served me well. I will just say from my own personal experience, and I think this is one of the advantages Java junkies to getting old. And there are many advantages to getting old. But one of them is that you do have perspective because you have more miles on the odometer. And I can tell you for a fact that you will have downtimes, but I can also tell you for a fact that you will have up times and up experiences and positive experiences, and that is life. And so I think knowing that you're going to have downtimes, keep that spirit inside you knowing that things are going to get better because they will. They always do. That's my two cents, Johanna. That's so true. It's really true. And it does it does come with perspective. Couple of final questions for you here. One of which mm-hmm. is, if you could go back to Reed College where you were a German lit major and do it <laughs> all over again, what advice would you give yourself? But based on the wisdom that you have now, what would you tell yourself? Mm. What I would tell myself is that even though things make no sense 
while you're going through them, they all add up to something in the end. I remember talking to someone who, someone like people in your audience who says, after listening to my career path, he said, wow, wow, that just, you just really kind of figured it all out. And one thing just led to the next and said, you know, it only feels like that in retrospect. Because while you're going through it, you're like, is, does this make sense? Do I have any idea what I'm doing? But I do think that following your passion and your heart will lead you along a path that will make sense at some point in time. And the early days that are the choppiest and the hardest because it really doesn't make sense, but it, but it will. Yes. Wonderful advice. And now final question, Johanna, we all have had our ups and our downs in our professional lives, whether it's because of colleagues we've worked with or challenging supervisor, or maybe it was just ourselves, you know, as you said, especially when you're beginning, it's choppy. Could Mm -hmm. you share a professional experience from something that happened over the course of your career that was challenging and how you persevered, how you came through the other side. Well, I'm going to flip that question just a tad because I worked with a phenomenal team of colleagues early on in my career. And I thought, oh, work is so great. I just love my job. I love the people I work with. It's so much fun. We got along well. And I would just say that when you are working with a fabulous team of people, just recognize how special it is because you don't always. And I think the hardest times for me in my work are when there's discord or there's there's not synergy with the team that I'm working with. It just makes the work hard, harder. Whereas when you're with a group of people, because nobody works by themselves in a cube or an office all day long, we're always working with people. And when that like flows and clicks and jives, it is so much fun. And I think when you're in a work situation that is really killing your spirit, It's just important to figure out whether you need to make a change because it really makes a difference. Oh, I hear you. Well, Johanna, I know that your spirit is soaring in your current place and anyone who has the opportunity to work at the Oregon Community Foundation is a very, very lucky person. I want to say thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the Java Junkie community. I have thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you. I love talking with you, Andrea. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.